Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for December of 2022. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and Aaron Fogel. Welcome, both of you. Hi. Hey, thank you, Chris. All right. I'm going to give just a brief overview of the month ahead, a quick snapshot of some of the transits, and then I'll welcome both of you um, in more detail, and then we'll jump into the astrological forecast for December. So here is the planetary movements calendar that shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the month and how far through the signs of the zodiac they'll get by the end of the month. As we can see in the first part of the month, most of the inner planets are transiting through Sagittarius, but then eventually they make their ingress into the sign of Capricorn. So early in the month, some of those inner planets, such as Venus and the Sun, as they're transiting through Sagittarius, will oppose Mars, which is still retrograde in the sign of Gemini. We have Neptune stationing direct in Pisces on the 3rd of December, Mercury ingressing into Capricorn on the 6th. Then we get a full moon in Gemini on the 7th of the month, which is very closely opposite to Mars, which is kind of notable at the time. A couple days later, Venus ingresses into Capricorn on the 9th. Um, Jupiter ingresses, departs from Pisces, and moves into the sign of Aries on the 20th of December. Then we get the winter solstice the following day on the 21st, followed by a new moon in Capricorn on the 23rd, and then finally Mercury stations retrograde in the sign of Capricorn on the 29th of the month and begins a three-week retrograde period that will uh, carry over into the month of January. So that's the basic overview of the month. Uh, hey, welcome both of you to the show. Austin, welcome back. And Aaron, welcome and thanks for joining us for your first time as a guest co-host on The Forecast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we just released our episode on healing intergenerational trauma yesterday, actually, our previous episode, which is already going over really well on YouTube, in which we had some really interesting discussions about the kind of like spiral nature of time and cycles and themes that come up in a person's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was an awesome talk. I recommend it, but I'm biased. <laughs> right. Uh, Austin, how are you doing since the last forecast? Um, I don't know. It feels like a very long time. I've just been sort of in a hypnotic trance all month, just sort of doing what I'm doing and into the next thing. It's been good. Uh, it's it's been good. I just it's I've sort of I looked up and I you know I was looking at some some messages that I I was like oh you know uh, somebody emailed me I need to get back to him. And it was from like three weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I've just, I was like, sorry, I've just kind of been in a trance. It's been a good trance. Just, you know, getting things done, eat this, yeah. do these exercises, work on this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I'm excited as a fixed sign person to be getting out of eclipse season fin finally. And we're starting to have some lunations that are not eclipses for the first time in a, in a month. And I feel like we're coming out of kind of a chaotic phase in a very heavy phase after all of that. Um, but then we're still only not quite even halfway through the Mars retrograde. So I know some of the people with mutable placements are still getting hit, as we'll talk about a little bit more in this episode. So why don't we first um, start by doing a little bit of a review of some of the major stories that have happened in the news over the past month since we did our last forecast episode at the end of October. Uh, and just how the astrology worked out and sort of check in on how some of our um, statements about how things work out went. And then after that, we'll go into a more detailed analysis and forecast for the month of December. How does that sound? Sounds awesome. 
All right. So major news stories. Um, one of the biggest like ongoing things in the news has just been the the chaos uh, happening over at Twitter, which seemed really keyed into on the one hand the eclipses because um, Elon Musk actually took over Twitter at the end of October, starting around October 26th and October 27th when he first walked into Twitter headquarters and then completed the deal to basically buy the company. Um, but that was just days after that eclipse that occurred in the sign of Scorpio. And it was really notable at the time. It was like just happening when we mentioned when we um, did our last forecast episode. But for some reason, uh, this period of intensity really began with him taking over on that Scorpio eclipse right there um, at the end of October. So um, as soon as the eclipse happened, basically it was just like two weeks of kind of chaos on Twitter that was bookended by the first eclipse and the second eclipse, although a lot of the changes and stuff are still ongoing. Um, but basically, he bought the company. I think he fired the entire board immediately within the first two days, and then they began laying off, began laying off I think, something like over half of the workforce or something like that, as well as um, implementing changes very rapidly and kind of chaotically bringing back a bunch of previously banned accounts that had been banned for different reasons over the past. And it was just kind of a crazy several weeks like on that social media platform if you're paying attention to it. I know you saw you were there paying attention to it, right, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, just kind of watching quietly, like abstaining from tweeting for a while and just sort of like watching. Um, and if anyone lives in Toronto, there was a really funny tweet that I saw that someone was like, Twitter is giving like McDonald's at Queen and Spadina energy, which is very niche, but it's like the most chaotic place in the city. Um, so it was it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, well, it felt like the last days of MySpace type of energy for a little bit there. Like there was real concern, especially around the time of the second eclipse in Taurus conjunct Uranus. It seemed like a lot of the engineers were being fired and um, there were real questions about whether the platform was actually going to take a nosedive because at first nobody knew quite what he was going to do, but then everything was happening so erratically and like suddenly, and it was so chaotic because um, he was just day by day implementing new changes. Like one of the first things he did was roll out within the first few days a subscription service where he was going to charge people in order to get the verified blue check mark. Um, but as soon as he did that, it invalidated the entire purpose of the checkmark system, which is to um, validate like who was actually a real person, especially for celebrities or companies. So as soon as that happened, a bunch of um, people set up fake accounts to like impersonate celebrities and start like issuing statements um, as if they were them. And it was actually a really funny manifestation of the Mars-Neptune square at the time. And there were some companies, I think like Eli Lilly, where somebody set up a fake account uh, saying that uh, like insulin would be free from now on. And then on the stock market, their their stock price actually just like tanked the next day. So there was actually a real tangible, uh, I don't know, blowback from that. And then the very next day, Elon had to like, you know, take that system back and take it offline, I assume, due to stuff like that. You know. So the the timing of the sort of acquisition, like the final acquisition and takeover is definitely the eclipses, especially when we look at the history of the the offer and all that. 
Um, but this, like this chaos the offer that, happened under the previous, almost under the previous set of eclipses earlier this year. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, it really tied into the nodes, um, uh, and the eclipses, but the action that you're talking, you're describing is so signature Mars retrograde in Gemini. Like there's, uh, what I've been getting, picking up from that Mars retrograde is very chaotic, um, you know, and it's chaos that comes from lots of movement, but without a coherent pattern. Like now we're going to go left. Now we're going to go right. Now we're jumping up and down. Like now we're going backwards. It's um, it's like if someone, you know, if you think about just taking a turn, but too quickly in a in a uh, moving vehicle with sufficient mass, it's wrenching. Right. You have like the the G forces. Um, and so, you know, I was uh, I've been peripherally aware of the Twitter thing. And from from my distance, it's sort of like, um, I don't know, like I it, it sounds like the screams on a roller coaster, right? You know, when because it, it's the G forces from sudden ups, downs, lefts and rights. Also, another thing that's very, very, very Mars and Gemini, you know, Gemini is a, a mutable sign, a dual sign. It's represented by twins. And when you have a malefic there, it's the evil doppelganger energy. Right. It's the or I don't know, I guess in the with the, the pharmaceutical company it was the good twin that was going to give it away for free. But you had a lot of like um, evil twin doppelgangers um, with that blue checkmark phenomenon. Right. Where you have um, the you know, the the harm comes from a copy or an impersonator or a double. Yeah, yeah. that's funny because I think like. 50% of Twitter like became Elon Musk for like a few days and was right. just like impersonating him and like tweeting as if they were him. But that erratic chaos notion of the Mars retrograde, I think, is really accurate. And something that I thought was interesting was that uh, like the original offer was made on April 14th, which is pretty close to those first set of eclipses. But it was also two days after the exact Jupiter-Neptune conjunction that happened in Pisces. Mm. And so I I think it was almost like a foreshadowing of something that would happen during the Mars retrograde, because as we know, like most of the Mars retrograde is squaring Neptune. Um, and so it seems relevant that like all this is coming back around to something that was like seeded or sparked during that conjunction because Mars retrograde can have that like reversal as well, or that sense of like just coming in and undoing everything at like high velocity speed, which kind of felt like exactly what's been happening. That, that makes sense as well. Cause like late last year, I think on the year ahead forecast, we were speculating about the upcoming Jupiter Neptune conjunction. And we're a little nervous because we also noticed that Trump was going to supposedly launch his social media platform that he was going to call like Truth Social around the time of the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in early 2022. Um, so it's interesting. Now what's ended up happening is um, Elon first made that offer earlier this year around that time, but then when Jupiter retrograded back into Pisces, he took it over. And now that's one of the things that's making the platform unstable is that suddenly it's becoming politicized because he's like retweeting kind of far right-wing conspiracy theories and um, engaging with and, and sort of attacking like liberal activists and different things like that while also favorably retweeting far right ones. So there's a question about whether um, suddenly the whole platform is becoming more politicized than it ever was before. 
Mm-hmm. Which to me seems like a very Jupiterian theme to introduce. Um, and then the the sort of like chaos or aggression of it is Mars. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction is very much about like a confusion of truths. And in our last chat, Chris, we'd been talking about conspiracy theory and how that's been such a challenge this year. And I think a lot of that also came from the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction and the the like blurring of edges of um, truth, as well as like people's political alignments. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, when it's going to become a bigger theme, I'm kind of concerned about now as we head into, you know, Pluto ingressing into Aquarius early next year. And just a lot of people having this experience all of a sudden where like the richest man in the world can come in by this entire social network and just take it over that that was previously almost, you know, coming to the not rising completely to the level of a public utility, but having such an important place in terms of the public discourse when it comes to like politics, arts, you know, even social things like like astrologers or astrology has really flourished there over the past several years with some of the younger generations of astrologers that have come in. And then all of a sudden, if one person can come in and like um, take that over and then just completely change the face of it, uh, it's really interesting in terms of the implications that has for you know how that power then is exerted in the future in order to influence or sort of change society and what impact that has. You, you feel like that's a new thing? I mean, all these social media companies have been run; they're they've all been corporations. They're never. They were, they were never without their own agenda. Um, I, I guess it feels like a, a, a new iteration of what's been true literally since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, there's a extent to which that's true because you have other figures like Mark, Mark Zuckerberg or what have you, and then the previous accusations both from the right and the left about how Facebook has been used to like game elections and things like that. Um, but I've never seen an instance like this where a singular person has come on. And that was the thing that was bizarre that seems like a mistake from my perspective is how overtly he's been politicizing the platform and embracing far right-wing ideology instead of making it neutral or making it non-political, which was his original statement earlier this year about his intention, but instead he's done the opposite. And I think there's something unique about that that we haven't seen with other things. Like with Mark Zuckerberg, he's not overtly political or, or or anything, even if there's accusations about Facebook influencing political discourse or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't, I, I haven't been like watching the Twitter and watching Elon's tweets. So there may, there may be uh, an element that I'm not aware of. Um, just the idea that it was, you know, none of these things are ever neutral. Um, that was, that never happened. There was never a golden age. Um, but yeah. things, even if things were never great, they can always get worse. Um, what, I did want to speak really quickly to, you know, the status of truth and Jupiter and Neptune. Um, but, and specifically Jupiter as it's sort of, uh, inflated, um, some of Neptune's negative characteristics, right? Not all of those character, not all characteristics with Neptune in Pisces or Neptune in general negative, but, um, one of the things I sort of see, I, I don't know, I sort of became aware of or became more aware of, but that feels ubiquitous is that with, with Neptune and Pisces, there's, 
it's sort of like there's a story for everything already and it's very difficult or you know everybody on the internet um is just sharing stories and making up narratives about everything and it's so hard to discuss things without um without people thinking oh you're telling that story right or you know you say something like oh are you telling that story it's like no no, no i'm trying to not um, invest in an entire narrative <laughs> until uh, until I'm certain about something. Um, but it's just, I don't know, that, that feels very Neptune in Pisces, where it's all like, like, you know, you get halfway into your thoughts um, with someone and then it's like, oh, are you telling that story? Are you telling, you know, the Republican story? Are you telling this story? Are you telling that story? Are you telling the um, you know, the uh the globalist story? And it's like, no, 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 like um, like it, it, I don't know. It feels like the um, like uh, the the state of truth and or the state of statements um, is that they're instantly recruited. Like there's a a, a forcible conscription of thoughts into narratives. Um, when you know, I'd rather not. Um, I'd rather my my thoughts not go fight and die um, in some fruitless war. <laughs> Yeah. Does that um, make any sense or am I just, do I just sound crazy? No, I think that's like really interesting as a Neptunian theme because there's that sense that it is um, removing the clarity around something. But also, I think Neptune is very collective. Like, uh, like Neptune stories are not personal stories. So it does have this sense of like, whatever people are sharing or speaking to immediately getting like projected into this more collective sphere rather than it being mm. like a personal story or a personal expression, which we might see with one of the inner planets, it immediately becomes this like a uh, larger kind of undefined, like amorphous group narrative or something like no, that. I think that's a really good point. Like be um, like getting like uh, I think of, swarms or schools of fish or flocks of birds um where you know one um if if another if another bird of the same species sort of joins the flock like it just becomes part of that that larger shape it also reminds me of how um you know when you're like at the edge of sleep but you're still kind of in a dream but like some, you know, you could, uh, your body can hear a noise, your cat could be meowing and your mind will fold it into the dream, right? It's sort of like that one dream, you know, um, uh, for, um, yeah, for, for, uh, for people that are too stuck in one dream, everything they hear that's not actually supposed to be part of that dream gets folded into the dream. Um, just like a bird gets folded into the flock. So, um, one of the interesting other Mars retrograde things connected with this was that um, when Elon took over Twitter at the end of October, Mars was stationing retrograde in Gemini. And when some of the restrictions were pulled back about certain things, there was this sudden spike in like hate speech and like um, racist comments and other things like that. Uh, that really centered on like Mars stationing retrograde in Gemini. And it was a really fascinating, although disturbing manifestation of just like Mars stationing retrograde in the sign of Gemini and just like terrible language being used or something like that, or a, a rollback on restrictions with respect to that. Yeah, that's very, that makes perfect sense. And we got like, 
Um, we sort of got a taste of that in the warm up for the Mars retrograde with Kanye. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, deeply, like legitimately, deeply old school uh, offensive things. Right. Not like, oh, you're being too sensitive, but like, you know, um, <laughs> like incontestably uh, offensive things. Yeah, unfortunately, that and the sort of normalization of anti-Semitism through Kanye's comments has has like increased. Unfortunately, over like the past month, I feel like since that time, and yeah, there was definitely also a spike of that with Mars stationing. So, um, all of this though has bigger political implications potentially in the long term and geopolitically and in terms of mundane astrology because we had that eclipse happen in Taurus on November eighth conjunct Uranus, and that was um, the day that the midterms took place. Although the big surprise with the midterms, at least in the United States, was that there wasn't a huge um, red wave, but instead the Democrats were able to keep more seats in the Senate or the House than expected, which in and of itself ended up, ended up being unexpected because just historically during most midterm elections, the party in power that has the White House would like lose a bunch of seats, and that's just how it goes. So the unexpected result this time was a disruption of that or like the opposite of that. Um, but then just a few days later, um, Trump announced his candidacy. So he's running for the 2024 presidential election again. And that's that uh, eclipse, that lunar eclipse that happened occurred in his 10th house, um, which is notable and important. And then with everything going on with Twitter, um, one of the things that Elon rolled back now being in charge of it and through his politicization of it is he invited and has been encouraging Trump to come back to Twitter, even though he was originally banned immediately following the January 6th insurrection where he attempted to stop the results of like the peaceful handover of presidential power after the presidential election. So all of this with Twitter and everything, even though it seems stupid, especially if you don't use the platform, if you're paying attention to it, um, it's especially tying in with some of the astrology and those big eclipses, seems like it will end up having much more long-term impact than we might think. Yeah. And it also has that kind of very traditional sense of eclipses of like reversing or uh, changing direction with something. And so there was like a reversal of Trump's ban from mm -hmm. Twitter. And I went and looked at the chart for his um, announcement that he's running again. And the moon was uh, like mid to later degrees of Leo. I can't remember the degree, but anyways, it was oh. like uh, it was perfecting mid. that grand cross with the nodes and Saturn and Uranus and the sun and everything. So um, it, it was uh, the moon sort of like bringing that reversal into action often like it acts as like a kind of timing technique with slower things right well the moon bringing yeah bringing that energy to his ascendant which is late leo and mars yeah i was just going to ask you know do you know where the moon was um for that announcement i'm pretty sure it was like 18 leo or something hmm, that's yeah, not it would, it that's not applying to saturn that's not that's not elected no, you don't, it was you a, don't you don't put the moon opposite Saturn um if you want to win, but that's fine. No, it was a it was a night chart with the moon with the moon exactly applying to an opposition with Saturn, although it had it did have some nice um some of that grand water trine that was happening later in the month with like the Scorpio planets applying to trine uh Jupiter and Pisces, it did have, which was actually kind of a nice thing electionally, but the moon was definitely not in good shape. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was uh, that was your election of the month last week or last month. Last month, um, 
with, but it was the the Cancer Moon, right, where it was trining Jupiter and Venus. That was lovely. I I used that. I should have announced yeah. my candidacy. Right. <laughs> yeah, two days early. Much prefer to vote for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So anyway, so this is an ongoing story. Um, part of it is you know Elon Musk has um, the Moon in the sign of Gemini, or sorry, no, uh, going back, it's Twitter has Mars in Gemini, and then it has that square Mercury in Pisces and the moon in Sagittarius. So a lot of this stuff is just hitting all the mutable stuff in the Twitter chart. Um, Elon does have some stuff in his chart in Gemini that this is hitting. So this will probably just be an ongoing story that we'll continue to see as Mars continues to go retrograde through the sign of Gemini before um, getting out of there after the first few months of next year. Um, Yeah. Well, and then... Sorry, um, I was going to suggest that we move on to the other sort of big thing that happened last month. Unless you uh, you had more to um, to do on this sort of. Mm. No, I was about to transition. Okay, great. Um, so, Chris, what do you want to talk about next? So, the other big story, the other big news story this month was the collapse of this cryptocurrency company called FTX. And what was so striking about it astrologically is that the crash happened right on um, over a few day period, basically the the Taurus eclipse around the eighth of November. And if you see like the graphs showing just like the stock price and the value of the company and its associated cryptocurrency, it just like crashes right on that Taurus eclipse in November. So it was really fascinating even if you don't follow bitcoin or or cryptocurrencies very closely it was the fascinating seeing this billion dollar it was worth billions and billions of dollars yeah. uh just crash almost vir- virtually overnight right on an eclipse yeah and um um i'm going to pat myself on the back cuz i said right around that time in the yearly and then several times afterwards including last month that 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 looked like fi- a financial bubble popping um, and that was absolutely a bubble. You know, what they found out behind the, uh, well, once they got into the books of the FTX thing is that the actual, I believe the actual value of the assets was like, like, uh, under a million dollars, but it had been valued at 5 billion. Um, like there's literally not just like a, a bubble, right? You could have a, a bubble that was four feet wide, um, but if you took all of the liquid that made it up, you could, you know, you'd barely fill a thimble, right? The actual substance was absolutely minimal. Um, and so that was, I don't know, that was kind of fun. I like it when um, fake things get destroyed. Yeah. Well, it was, it was crazy though, because it was like a um, $150 billion company or just like something crazy like that. And it turned out it was partially like a, like a Ponzi scheme or something like that. And a bunch of people had, invested money but then they were taking the money and reinvesting it elsewhere um so then there ended up being like a bank run and people started trying to withdraw their money from the company but they couldn't they didn't have the funds and then it just crashed everything yeah i've heard it um uh i've heard it uh compared repeatedly to bernie madoff mm-hmm. um yeah and that it was you know um there were there were well connected people um excuse me, um, just like with Bernie Madoff, it was like being friends with the right people, knowing the people who are regulating this, getting, um, in the case of FTX, having a very high profile celebrity endorsements, which is exactly how Madoff ran it. 
you know, they're like, well, everybody cool is doing it. It seems to be above board. These are amazing returns on my investment um, until the whole thing just falls apart. Yeah. So in order to like illustrate this, I'm trying to find a graph of the um, value because they had it, it was it's tricky to explain because it was like it was an exchange where you could exchange um, money for cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and vice versa. But they also had their own uh, cryptocurrency token, kind of like Bitcoin. Um, and when you put that on a graph, the value of it, take a, take a look at this. So this is the value. It's worth like $25, $26 leading up to in late October, early November. And then it just starting November 5th, it just starts going down and then it just crashes November 7th, November 8th, November 9th. And that's just so perfectly correlated with the uh, Taurus eclipse, which happened on November 8th. What's interesting is that earlier this year, um, there may have been some connection between this crash and the crash of an earlier cryptocurrency, um, which was the Luna coin. I don't know if you remember, Austin, we talked about that earlier this year. Mm -hmm. That was exactly six months ago that the Luna coin crashed. And I believe that was under the previous solar eclipse in Taurus. And I've read some reports saying that um, the crash of that coin six months earlier actually ended up being tied in with this crash because some of their investments were actually in that coin. So if that's true, then it actually interestingly ties together or becomes a really good example of how sometimes eclipses in the same sign tie together a series of events in six month increments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it also um, it's also another point of argument um, in favor of Uranus and Taurus um, being really tied to not not just Bitcoin but the whole crypto story, right? Uh, Uranus and Taurus historically does a lot of change, like does a lot of disrupting and changing how currency and banking is done, and so this time with Uranus beginning in. Uh, Uranus moving into Taurus for the first time in 2018, like 2018 to 2025 is going to look like the story of how crypto ended up this way, right? Um, crypto certainly began before 2018, but it started being something that was that uh, impacted the mainstream and people started really talking about um, just after Uranus ingressed in 2018. And so those eclipses on top of that Uranus, which is historically about uh, Uranus and Taurus, one piece of which is historically about currency and banking, you know, really, um, I don't know, as, as you say, uh, really, you know, it just demonstrated that. And as well as it's the same eclipse cycle. So six months later, uh, you get an update or the next, get the next season, right, of the show. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that feels like a very like sort of umbrella theme for Uranus and Taurus is those like massive or sudden economic shifts and then bringing in like the very literal themes of the eclipse of again something being like reversed or changed but I I think it's interesting with something like cryptocurrency which is a more um sort of collective form of currency, I guess. Uh, and and I think of Scorpio as like resources that are more shared versus Taurus as like resources that I have personally. Um, and so it, it felt like it was sort of uh, reversing that as well. Yeah. And it was also a good manifestation of something we've been talking about over and over again with the Saturn Uranus square, which is just 
um, having a stress test on something and then and shaking the foundations of something. And if it doesn't have a stable foundation, the the that it can just collapse like a building virtually overnight. And we've seen a bunch of things happen like that when they were closely connected to the Saturn Uranus square. And that was one of the things these eclipses were tied into very closely was um, not just being conjunct Uranus, but also squaring Saturn. Yeah. Thankfully, that's one of the things that were coming out of this period finally as Saturn and Uranus now are starting to move away from each other at this point until eventually Saturn completely changes signs early next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a few things. Yeah, the um, the house uh, a house of cards does not survive a stress test, right? You just shake the table a little bit and it's done. Um, and then, uh, Aaron, to speak to your uh, your point about like Scorpio and Taurus, um, maybe maybe I wouldn't frame it as collective, but like with those signs, Scorpio is a liquid type of asset, and then you know Taurus is a thing. Um, you know, it's a solid thing. Um, and one thing we've seen with Uranus and Taurus um, is that things have become more valuable relative to currency, right? Um, commodities, um, like food and uh, food and energy, or the those things which produce energy, like the basic things that people need, have become much more valuable relative to currency, right? Which is liquid and its value fluctuates and this and that. You know the the agreed upon tokens are not doing uh, very well relative to you know bags of rice. If we look at between you know there's been a lot this year with the Ukraine war, um, but if we just look at commodities, commodities um, and things have done extremely well. If we just look at 2018 to the present, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That idea of it being a more liquid asset because I think in uh, like reading about this before today i was reading how like when it started to tank um people tried to like cash their ftx in for money like to get their money back essentially and it like wasn't there <laughs> so right. it didn't really like translate into an actual like thing which would be more of like a Taurus experience um and as far as like stress tests go i think i saw that the owner is 29 or 30 or something so he's having his saturn return right now so this is quite the saturn return stress test yeah, yeah good point i was yeah. like oh that's a saturn return for the ages you just lose like 152 billion dollars <laughs> yeah and, that, and that's the thing when we're talking about all these mundane stories of like major things happening in the news or what have you is like some of these mundane things that we're talking about that are affecting large groups of people are also happening in people's individual lives and individuals are getting those stress tests sometimes in their individual lives and sometimes they're making it through okay, albeit a bit shaken up and other times like the house of cards is collapsing in certain areas. Um, so you know it gets personalized as well in some instances in his instance very personally because he's the guy that's like at the center of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I think Saturn will disrupt anything that's not real or concrete enough to survive a stress test. Right. Yeah, well, and we've kind of got that. Yeah, we've got it. We've got that sort of uh, from a couple angles, right? Because we have uh, we we've also had the the Mars squaring Neptune energy, right? And that's you know um, you can you can pop a bubble with the weight of Saturn. But really, for popping bubbles, you want uh, you want something pokey and martial, right? Um, Saturn will like 
crush what is not substantial. Um, and then, you know, Mars, Mars loves to, to pop bubbles, right. To burst things. Um, and so that's Saturn Uranus and the Mars Neptune there, there, and I think to a certain degree, just, uh, with the eclipses sort of super fueling things, we have that, um, destroying what's not real or what cannot endure. Um, you know, it's more than a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a stress test, but from a couple different angles, from a couple different configurations. Yeah. And then uh, one of the patrons in the chat mentions inflation, which is something we've focused on a lot this year in terms of the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction. And that's another you know, thing they're attempting to pop right now um, with the Fed like hiking up the interest rates super high in order to try to combat inflation. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how, how successful they are, as well as you know, what impact that has on the economy since there were no real good choices there in terms of what to do with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I all was right. just thinking also, oh yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. Well, just, yeah, one last thought about the the bubble popping, which does seem like a very martial thing. Um, I think I read that uh, part of what started to tip it over was that there was like information that was leaked about the company or like what what was actually happening there. And leaking information to the press or to the public seems like the Mars and Gemini way to pop a bubble. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, yeah. Right. Cause it's like sharp messages is, um, is what kind of what we've been talking about with Mars and Gemini. Right. But that like information communicate, the communication of information would be the needle. Yeah. Well, and that happened on Twitter, like the disclosures, uh, that led to the collapse of FTX were happened over a series of a few days and they happened on Twitter. So let's just bring things full circle, like why it's been become such an important uh, social media platform and why so many people are paying attention to it and why if it stumbles or falls, that would be such a, a weird major thing. Um, all right. Why don't we, I think that's good for like reviewing the news from this past month. Those are the two major news stories I wanted to, to mention. Um, why don't we transition now into talking about the forecast for December and getting into some of the details about that? All right. Awesome. All right. So start of the month, we've been talking a lot about um, Neptune and other things, and it's kind of notable that Neptune actually stations right at the very top of the month on the 3rd of December. Um, so that's one of the things going on is we have Neptune stationing and an intensification of Neptune's significations there in Pisces. But at the same time, early in the month, we still have the inner planets going through Sagittarius and, and opposing that Mars retrograde, first with Venus opposing Mars on the 1st of December, and then about a week later, the Sun opposing Mars just after that full moon in Gemini um, on the 8th of, 8th of December. So if I put that on, let me show that in an actual chart so we can visualize a little bit better here for those watching the video version. So animate the chart, move it to December 1st. And by the time December opens, Mercury has already cleared that opposition with Mars. So some of the tension there starts to pass into the background, but we see Venus is still right there opposing Mars that day. And then the sun eventually will come up and oppose it as well. So those are two of the things so far in terms of um, the opening transits. Um, what are some of the opening transits that you're looking at, Aaron? Yeah, that 
Neptune station for sure. <laughs> and uh, I think there's sort of this interesting theme of, um, like you're saying, Mercury, Venus, and then the sun coming to one by one oppose Mars, because I, I sort of think about Mars retrogrades in five stages. There's like the the shadow phase the first half of the retrograde and then the opposition with the sun as like stage three or like the, the sort of height or culmination of it. Um, mm. And so it kind of feels like everything is uh, like moving in this funnel towards that opposition, which is really like intensified by the full moon that's going to happen. So it just made me think of like, uh, yeah, everything going through a funnel in the first week or so of the month. Yeah, that makes sense. And and really just putting the focus, like the laser focus on that as we hit the halfway point in the cycle. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that uh that that image of a funnel, right? Because that's very it's very Sagittarian, right? Sagittarius focuses and brings things together, right? On a very simple level, bringing human and horse into one being, but also if you think of um the practice of archery, um, you know, you have to um, bring your awareness, which is usually much wider to a single point. Right. Um, and that's, you know, how do you, um, you know, and, and that's how you bring physical objects or liquids into a single point, right? You funnel them down into the, you know, into the tube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I totally think about that Saj Gemini opposition that way. It's like, yeah, taking a lot and then bringing it or yeah, taking something broad spectrum or like a larger volume and bringing it into like a point of specificity. Yeah. And I meant, I meant to show this diagram again, which I haven't shown in a couple of forecasts, but that was illustrated by Stella that just shows um, how the pre-retrograde shadow period began on September 3rd for the Mars retrograde. Mars actually stationed and that intensified on October 30th. And then we're in the most intense stage of it all the way through January 12th. And then eventually Mars leaves its post retrograde shadow period on March 15th. And then it'll eventually will depart from Gemini and move into Cancer not too long after that. Um, having first ingressed into Gemini, I think way back in August. So it's just sitting on the same sign of the zodiac and grinding over the same degrees in everybody's charts for this whole uh, six to eight month period, basically. It sure is, Chris. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Are there any mutable moon people around that can speak to that? Yeah. Right. Um, maybe I'll I'll, I'll check. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm heavily invested in mutable, not only with the moon, but with lots of other planets. So, uh, I've been feeling it. I've been feeling it since literally the day after ingress, cause I have stuff early mutable and a lot mid mutable. So, so far so good, but so far so good because I've been like, um, I was going to say fixated on handling it because it was so obviously, um, a, a, a bouquet of potential irritations and issues. Yeah, it's been interesting seeing different people how they're reacting to that energy in somewhat predictable ways. But uh, but the specific manifestation in, in each instance is always interesting. There was one person I know that had Gemini rising, and they were in a Gemini perfection year, and Mars stationed in their first house, and they got in a car accident. Like somebody was driving and like slammed into them and totaled their car. 
So it was a very literal manifestation. There was another person um, who was just getting into arguments or, or, or relationship disputes with their partner, with Mars stationing or retrograding, retrograding in their seventh house. Um, it's pretty, in some instances, pretty straightforward just in terms of intensifying the, the conflict or the tense energy um, in whatever house it's trans transiting in a person's chart. Yeah, the I mean, part of the part of the issue with Mars retrograde is that there's there's a like going off the rails uh, energy to Mars retrograde, like it you know abandoning uh, the the standard conventions of 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 conflict where you know things like you know with a car like out of the lane, right? Like getting being out of your lane or the you know the opposing car being out of their lane. Um, but yeah, just sort of like there's, there's a wild quality or excuse me, moments of wildness are very, in my, in my studies and experience, very characteristically Mars retro, um, on a very simple level, I've been seeing a shitload of shoulder injuries. Um, it's literally Gemini rules the shoulders. Um, and <clears throat> I was talking some, uh, one, uh, there were, as I mentioned, as I mentioned to you last month, but not on camera, um, there, or maybe I did, I don't remember whether I mentioned it. There was a UFC fight where a guy came in with a shoulder that had been dislocated 20 times in the last several months. And it dislocated within 10 seconds of the fight. And then he fought through it and then it dislocated again. And it was a big fight that everybody was looking forward to. And they were like, this was, this was garbage. Like, literally came in um like with one you know with one arm um there's another there's a big fight a championship fight that just got called off because the guy has um according to the press release the worst shoulder injury they've ever seen um i was talking one of my students was like oh yeah i my shoulder just got dislocated um and the nerves are all fucked up um you know praise god i haven't um i haven't had a dislocation or anything severe but right around like a week around the station, I've never had my upper back and shoulders just hurt more for literally no reason. I just had like intense pain in that area for about a week for no external reason. And then as Mars sort of stopped, you know, uh, picked up some speed and sort of started moving rather than lingering, um, it's sort of, it's, it ceased to be a problem, but I was like, okay, so the, um, you know, that little Zodiac guy with the signs on him that we, you know, we've all seen a hundred times, like really does target, um, where planets affect the body. And somebody in the comments, crippling shoulder pain issues. Yeah. It yeah. can be quite literal that way. Yeah, for sure. I know that's been the case for me. And, um, also just seeing Mars sometimes indicating conflicts and that, that archetype of conflict, um, but sometimes Mars forces conflict, but there can also be this cathartic quality to getting it all out and like having a conflict or saying the things that need to be said, even if they're not pleasant, um, has been an interesting thing. Like that idea of unpleasant words is something we were talking about earlier with like Mars stationing and Twitter, but sometimes it can come out in people's personal lives as well. And it's like hurtful things can be said or um, things that can can be said that are harsh, but then afterwards there's this feeling of almost relief sometimes in having gotten some of that out or gotten the conflict out that needs to take place. Yeah, I do think it can have that sort of 
cathartic quality to it. And that's actually what I've been like wondering about as the first like week or so of December, um, as everything kind of like rushes towards that opposition with the sun, if it will um, bring things more to a head in that way. And um, uh, probably helps to know for people like where the retrograde is in their chart. Cause you know, if you have Mars retrograde in the eighth or the 12th or something, it's likely to bring up more from under the surface than if you have it like in the first house or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, that really puts the focus, especially maybe we want to talk about our first lunation of the month. Cause that's really when it seems the most highlighted is we get um, this full moon that takes place on December 7th. Uh, yeah, December 7th at 15 degrees of Gemini. Um, but Mars is right there retrograde at 16 degrees of Gemini when that full moon goes exact. So as soon as the full moon, as soon as the moon hits the opposition with the sun, it just immediately applies to the conjunction with that retrograde Mars and Gemini. So I feel like that full moon is going to be a very important turning point in terms of the entire Mars retrograde story, not just because it's conjunct, um, the moon is conjunct Mars, but also because the next day Mars opposes the sun and that's the halfway point in Mars's retrograde cycle. It, it actually, yeah, it, the, the sun and Mars oppose within hours of that full moon. Uh, if, you, mm. if you look at the chart right there, they're only seven minutes apart and mutually applying. Yeah. Looks like it takes place early, like the next day here. Um, yeah. So, and that's the halfway point in the entire Mars retrograde cycle. So it seems like having that happen when we have a full moon, when there's also sort of like a, a feeling of culmination or um, heightened feelings or something like that, that we're getting a heightening of some of the tensions of Mars, um, some of the the conflict. One of the, the things you mentioned last month, Austin, that I thought was funny was the the deutering effect of sometimes like people coming back into your life or or sometimes um you know mars type figures coming back into your life um from the past and i've seen that as being a an interesting thing that's come up for some people as well yeah and confirm yes confirmed okay <laughs> can confirm <laughs> um but yeah i think that that sense of uh, like culmination will be there. But also I was thinking about themes of like revelation because so much of the Mars retrograde has been also cloaked with its square to Neptune um, that may have made it entirely unclear for people like exactly what is happening. <laughs> and then the full moon feels like this moment where we might actually realize like, oh, oh, this is the theme from the last few months, or that something might like click into place in a way that's been uh, challenging to pinpoint or identify um, because of the way that Neptune can obscure things despite Mars's like specificity. Right. Yeah, I, I think that um, <laughs> I think that the uh, the various issues that uh, that this Mars and this, the various conflicts and whatnot that this Mars retrograde is shepherding um, will be very not concealed um, <laughs> during this full moon. Um, you know, like lighting the sky up with fireworks. You know, with it being um, two mutable signs and just kind of going everywhere. I, I get the the image of like you know fireworks when they're you know they're 
fit 40 little explosions, right? Like cluster munitions, right? Like things scattering and going, um, going everywhere, like lighting off, um, you know, like, a you know, I don't know, um, thinking of not bottle rockets, but anyway, but yeah, like well, lots of, lots of little explosions all over the place and not subtle. Not subtle, <laughs> not subtle in the slightest. Yeah. Mars is not one for subtlety. It just makes me think also of like Mars in myth and how he's always like playing an oppositional role for like no apparent reason. Um, and he's like, oh, I'm going to fight on this side of the battle. You're you're doing that? Cool. I'm going to go over here and do this and just uh, sort of like inherently playing the devil's advocate or like taking the oppositional side just to like see what happens. Mm-hmm. There are also one of the things that I associate with Mars retrograde um, is there are also periods where a where Mars or Aries or Mars ish gods uh, or Mars adjacent gods will uncharacteristically refuse to participate in conflicts. Um, there's <clears throat> I believe there's a story where uh, Aries gets uh, in his case, I believe it's un. Um, uh, it's unintentional. He gets like trapped in a, in a pot. Um, you also have, um, in West African with West African gods, you have a period where Ogun, who's very Marsish, um, just refuses to participate. Usually Ogun is not only the fiercest warrior, but also the hardest worker. Um, and just refuses to, for a while refuses to, um, take part in the labor of finishing creation. Like you know what, fuck it, it's not worth it. You know, I don't. <laughs> uh, who, uh, who am I doing this work for? These people, right? It's like I'm, I'm not participating anymore. Um, and that's a little bit of a Mars retreat. You also have with Kartikeya, uh, you have ascetic themes um, of like going off, and this is sort of like you can see this in in Hollywood movies as well, like the warrior character um, going off on a retreat and refusing to take part. Um, I didn't see them, but I in the in the more recent Star Wars movies, don't you have um, Luke Skywalker like refusing to participate? Um, I don't know, I, I didn't see it, but you know, it's that it's that sort of like you know, it's that sort of uh, sitting with the cost of war and not wanting to take part on either side. Um, and there's that sort of retrograde reflecting upon that planet's action rather than taking part in it um but what's weird is during the mars retrograde you have that and then you also have those like wild cathartic releases of conflict where like i'm not even going to try to hold this in anymore or i'm not even going to try to maintain um peace but it's weird you have like both this ascetic side and this berserker side getting uh, activated at the same time by the mars retrograde yeah for sure and and just the explosive it's interesting like a refusal of that sometimes with the retrograde um but then also yeah mars having this explosive energy sometimes at the same time um and that can sometimes be very literal we, we did the episode with nick digan best on the uranus return of the united states and um uh, something i couldn't remember at the time is i knew one of the early nuclear uh uses of the nuclear bomb I thought it was the Trinity test had like Uranus on the midheaven and, and Mars Uranus conjunct in Gemini. But um, a listener 
told me yesterday it was actually the Hiroshima bombing. Uranus was right on the midheaven, and Mars was there in Gemini, just off the midheaven as well. So Mars, you know, just in its own form, can be like an explosion, but um, Uranus can amplify that using technology and things like that to those even larger and more destructive levels. Yeah, both the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings had the Mars Uranus and um, noticed that it was a pair of bombings. It was a pair of cities, right? It was, um, you know, the, and those those two bombs have names, right? The Was it Fat Man and Little Boy, I think? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you have the same um, pairing or multiplying with Mars. Yeah, it was, um, those bombings have pretty um, loud astrology, right? Sun conjunct Pluto, Mars conjunct Uranus. Yeah. Well, and it also just highlighted because one of the questions people had is like, why, for example, with the Uranus, why is it that every time Uranus goes through Gemini that there's like the US is involved in like a huge war, uh, starting with the Revolutionary War, then with Civil War, and then with World War II? And it's because of the presence of Mars there in Gemini, I think in the birth chart of the US um, back in 1776. So that every time you get a Uranus return, you've also got the awakening of that internal potential of like the Mars-Uranus conjunction, um, which is just kind of interesting and says something about that a little bit in terms of talking about Mars going through Gemini. Yeah, hundred um, percent. If for anybody who's had Uranus go over their Mars um, as a transit, um, like it's a it's a very martial period. I was fortunately I was young and I was literally just doing martial arts all day long. I graduated. I just graduated from college. So all I did um, was practice cool moves and fight people. Um, but that's all I wanted to do. And I can imagine uh, I can imagine if I didn't have that as, you know, like a safe, constructive place to put all that Mars energy. If I were, let's say, a nation state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe that's a good topic we could talk about a little bit here before we move on from the full moon. But like, what is a because Mars energy sometimes when it's in abundance, if you don't channel it or you don't do something with it, then you get the explosive or the conflict or the accident or other things like that, which are all potentials. But sometimes that energy does get channeled in a more constructive fashion. What are some of the, the positive ways to channel some of that if people are getting hit by heavy Mars transits and they um, need to find a constructive outlet for it? Yeah, that's something that um, I talked about uh, in my Mars retrograde workshop that I did with Julie Simmons, because we were talking about how destructive Mars can be without an activity. Um, and like an idle Mars is like a restless and potentially destructive Mars. And so often if you uh, can get, well, at least on a personal level, if you can give Mars inactivity, sometimes it can channel some of that energy into something more productive. Like you were saying, Austin, like learning martial arts is like a great way to channel Mars energy. But I, I think it's interesting also to consider different ways that people might ideally express their Mars energy based on like um, the sign that Mars is in or the house that it's in, like someone uh, with Mars and Scorpio might want to learn martial arts. And that's like a really cathartic way to channel that energy. Someone with Mars and Taurus might get really into cooking. Like, I think there's different ways that people might express it based on their natal Mars. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, uh, although uh, I would, I, I, I'd say they're so for, 
for example, with Mars and Taurus or one of some of the places where Mars is less comfortable. Um, what I see, what I've seen when people are picking activities to do Mars, they're actually not martial activities. Um, you know, it's actually a Venusian activity because it's, you know, um, and it doesn't actually do the, it's, it's actually a way of continuing to avoid Mars. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you're not, if there's not like effort and stress, um, and in, it doesn't have to be competitive, but it has to be pressurized. Um, like uh, that, you know, it, it, you need certain parameters to step into Mars's world. One of the things I was going to say, it's one of the challenges I've found with Mars, um, is that on one hand, um, like stagnant Mars is dangerous, right? When the, when the Mars energy stagnates, um, you know, it's like leaving a full canister of gasoline, just um, somewhere in the room while you're a smoker, right? Like it, it'll, it'll go off at a time you don't want. Um, but, um, you know, it's leaving what's flammable, just lying around. But at the same time, um, Mars also punishes you, or you also can get in trouble with overdoing it, right? You're like, well, I should, you know, not just leave this gasoline lying around my room, but you have to be really careful what you do set on fire, right? Because fire, fire spreads, Right. And that's that's also the thing with like um, uh, should we say uh, addressing points of conflict in relationships. Um, you know, if you don't do it right, or you know, uh, yeah, or you know, if, if if the timing is bad, or you know, whatever, um, like conflict or argumentation in one area can spread um, and set fire to the rest of the relationship. Um, on a, on another very simple level, which is something I've been trying to do during this Mars retrograde is like not working out um is uh, is letting the the mars stagnate that's bad for you working out too hard especially when you're under a lot of mars stress is getting injured right and so like you know like because that especially in isolation that like getting into that mars mindset where you want to push yourself you want to um, go past what's comfortable and accomplish, uh, you know, bigger and better things. That's exactly how you get injured. But that is also the right mindset, right? And engaging that overcoming mindset, um, you know, you can overcome the physical capacity of your joints, <laughs> um, but you don't want to not engage that. And this, so anyway, there's just this golden mean thing with Mars. Mars kind of makes you walk a little bit of a tightrope. Mm, that makes me think about our earlier conversation about like Mars myth and uh, how often Mars will abstain or dive in head first. And maybe part of it is like the discernment to know the difference because uh, we do need to give Mars an outlet or an activity. Um, and like you said, that, that stagnating Mars, like I've also depending on where it is in the chart, I've seen it turn into like inf inflammation in the body and, and chronic pain and um, concerns. Auto like autoimmunity. That, autoimmunity as well. Mars is almost always the the chart uh the chart indicator for that. It's the attacking the self. Yeah. Um but there is that sense that sometimes we also have to use like the no side of Mars or like Mars's capacity to say no makes me think about like when people have a Mars return as a kid is like usually when they learn to say no for the first time and they're like, you know, two and a half and it's like people call it the terrible twos, but they're actually just like having a Mars return and learning how to mm -hmm. say no for the first time in their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. The other thing about Mars that 
Um, something you said just now, Austin, made me think about of like the little flame that turns into a bigger thing is Mars things sometimes during a retrograde. It can be like the little hurt that doesn't seem that big at the time, but that it turns into a larger thing because it lingers. So sometimes that can be like the little argument that uh, where something is said that's hurtful, where you could have held your tongue but decided not to, but where ordinarily it would be something that would come and go and pass by after a day, because Mars lingers, sort of like a you know like a fire. The fire can sometimes get bigger and grow so that it gets out of control and becomes much larger than you thought it would at first when it seemed like it was just this little isolated thing. So that can be true for like interpersonal relationships, but it can also be true for even little things like you're talking about injuries, like a shoulder injury. If you like push yourself too hard when you're working out, it seems like a little minor thing, but then later, like a month later, it's grown into like a more long-term injury, despite initially seeming like a short-term thing. Yeah, that's so true. I I also think of um, wounds get infected. Hmm. And if you um, if you think about you know iron, which is you know so deeply connected to Mars symbolically as well as physically, it's literally the iron um, <laughs> yeah on Mars's surface uh, that makes it red. Um, but we think about you know all of these martial things like industry and war. It's all it's all made of iron, right? Like the none of the none of these things happen without iron. And one of the things um, I don't know I was thinking about a long time ago, but that stuck with me is that iron in, um, in its natural form, in its naturally occurring forms is basically a poisonous metal. Um, you know, iron rusts, and, um, that's why we all have tetanus shots. I've, um, <clears throat> during that period where Uranus was conjunct my Mars many years ago, uh, <clears throat> in addition to doing martial arts, I would also, I would just like do, I don't know, like housework and some like construction demo stuff. And I was working in a garden and taking out a trellis and I ended up um, stabbing myself with a rusty nail. (laughs) Um, It went about like half, maybe, I don't know, most of an inch into my knee. And, you know, it was like a very rusty nail and I got tetanus. My knee grew like blew, like blew up to the size of like a cantaloupe within six hours right? And was super hot. You know, it's influence with Mars, it's inflammation, right? This was not like a, a cold, slow Saturnian sickness, right? It's, uh, it was like instantly giant and red and hot and inflamed. Um, and then I got a, a booster tetanus shot, right? Um, for 50 bucks at the free, not the, not the, not quite free clinic. And it was gone. You know, the inflammation was gone almost immediately, but that like, you know, the actual wound, like you were saying, Chris, like from the rusty nail poking me, not a big deal. Like little trickle of blood scabbed up within 20 minutes, but like that infection. Yeah. I think then part of, especially for people getting hit by this Mars transit, if it's passing over the degree of like a personal planet in your natal chart, some of the advice can be to like hold your tongue or to resist doing the impulsive sort of piercing thing that seems present, seems pressing in the moment. And instead like put it off a day and see sleep on it and see if you still feel the same way. But uh, oftentimes with Mars transits, if you put it off long enough, you'll kind of like think better of it and decide that that wasn't the wise or like the strategic decision in the long term to do what felt right or felt you felt pressed to do in the moment. 
Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Austin. I was just just as a what I use as a quick axiom, like just a a, like just sort of a, a quick strategic guide for conflict is what do you what do I get out of? Um, this conflict, even if I'm utterly, even if it goes perfectly and I'm victorious in, in the terms of whatever the conflict is, what do I win? Is there actually a prize? Cause there's so many fights where literally, even, even if you win, you know, even if <laughs> you perfect your opponent, flawless victory, you actually don't get anything. You just get the satisfaction of, of feeling like you won and they lost. That's not a good enough prize in my opinion. Right, because it often also comes with a great deal of internal like ter- turmoil and, and other things that come with any sort of protracted conflict, especially if a conflict is protracted and becomes longer term than you think it will in the moment, which is always the danger with a Mars retrograde, since astronomically, Mars normally just comes and goes and passes through a sign relatively quickly over the course of a month or two, but here it's just like lingering for eight months. Yeah, yeah. Well, and with conflict, it reminds me of um, uh, a, a martial arts teacher at one point who would do like a um, a knife fighting and defense workshop, right? Um, and instead of being like you, you know, if somebody attacks you like this, you do this cool move. Like the first, I don't know, half an hour of it, or the first part was like repeating: if you get in a knife fight, you're going to get cut. And then that was like the first through thirtieth rules of knife fights. Right. And was so like, let's acknowledge that and then look at what are more or less advantageous things to do in a situation where you're going to get cut. Right. And most conflicts, once they get going, are knife fights at some level. Like you, you may be victorious, but you're not going to not get cut. Right. Cause that, that's always the advice. And the problem with knife fights is they say, like, you're going to get cut. And once you like realize if you enter into a knife fight with somebody that you're going to get cut, the smartest move is not to enter into a knife fight with somebody if you can get out of it, you know, in no uncertain terms. Yeah. If you're not, and especially yeah, if you're fantasizing that you're going to get in whatever proverbial knife fight without getting cut, you're probably, um, you know, you're, you're, you're probably delusional or misinformed. Yeah. Kind like, of makes me, yeah. Go ahead. It's like Chris. Oh, uh, it just makes me think of. Uh, I grew up in the world of modern dance, and there's like a joke that modern dance is essentially just like learning how to fall well, because like we're inevitably, inevitably going to be falling all the time, and so if you can do it well and gracefully, it's also kind of like a martial art in a way. Um, and yeah, something that Austin said earlier about like, does this fight have a purpose or like knowing when there's uh, like a a larger or more purposeful reason to like get into a fight kind of makes me think of like the Roman depictions of Mars, which will usually only go to war if it's like ultimately in the name of peace and like we'll go to war and cause some shit and then be like okay well now everything is like restored or like the larger balance is restored mm-hmm. here so i think that's part of it too yeah 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 right like the the and peace um peace or like a greater and a greater lasting harmony is a prize right like if that if that's actually the outcome of a fight then that you know, that may be worth, um, contesting for. It's just that like, you know, most of our opportunities for conflict 
um, especially, you know, in the internet age are, don't have like prizes, like, um, a hundred years of peace. <laughs> yeah. But that is a good Mars question though. Sometimes on the flip side of the, you know, the flip side of the knife analogy, which is like, when is there occasion? Sometimes the the right the righteous use of aggression that is necessary in order to prevent a greater injustice from taking place, um, and that's sometimes the the other flip side of like the Mars coin as well. Like I was um I was looking into I was researching like Einstein's biography recently and how he was like a pacifist, um, but how one of the things that he did was was write that letter to Roosevelt. Uh, warning him that the Germans were probably trying to develop the atomic bomb and that they should probably look into that. And that ended up being the thing that like led to the Manhattan Project and everything else. Um, so I don't know if he was super happy that that was the eventual like outcome of all of that, but it's an interesting question when you get into sometimes wars like that, like World War II, where um, sometimes Mars is is necessary. Yeah, well, and I would say that's another part of the Mars retrograde sort of analysis of the Marshall. So, if you're going to fight, um, well, the the you have to like that. Just that opens up an entirely, I should say, an, an equally huge number of questions. Well, it's okay. So, what is your strategy? What are your tactics? How are you fighting? Right? If you're fighting to achieve a particular outcome or to defeat a particular opponent. Um, simply being willing to fight is, um, step one of a thousand, right? Um, like just, you know, um, and being, as we say, fighting on the right side of some, of something, um, doesn't guarantee victory and it doesn't guarantee that you'll be effective. Um, there are plenty of, um, there, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the graveyards, the veterans graveyards are full of people who are felled by friendly fire, right? And, you know, like, uh, again, you can, you can hurt your own cause and you can hurt those, um, that you are fighting for if you fight poorly, you know, once you get into the world of, you know, aggression and damage, like that has to be directed very carefully. Um, and yeah. so I, like, I mean, there's, you can also like shoot yourself in the foot, which is yeah, actually, the, right. Proverbially, proverbially well, or literally. It's one of the things that's, I was thinking about watching the whole Twitter fiasco is just seeing that company tanking like so fast like what what it's like to watch somebody seemingly like shoot themselves in the foot and um yeah that that sometimes that's a thing it's not just like friendly fire but like the the friendliest of friendliest of fire <laughs> so let's see what else um it reminds me also like franken wrote franklin roosevelt had uh mars retrograde in gemini in his 10th house conjunct his midheaven and he was you know, it seemed like so much of his life built up to like World War II, and then he was the U.S. president leading the U.S. through World War II and playing such an integral role. Um, just going back to that idea of sometimes like the righteous war, what have you, or, or at least when war is sometimes like necessary as opposed to something that's just being done for the sake of destruction or, or violence or what have you. Yeah. And Mars can be protest too, which is like a fantastic use of Mars energy um possibly more peaceful and less violent but you know depends on the situation yeah that's a really good point um protest and because sometimes protest even verbal protest is to the people on the receiving end is like an unwanted verbal intrusion or sometimes has this jarring 
um, effect that, that's like um, uncomfortable or is felt as uncomfortable, but that uncomfortable feeling is actually the goal, and that's what um, pushes or, or causes change in some instances. Yeah, it's almost like an elaboration of like Mars teaching us how to say no. Is protest is like a larger scale way of saying no to something or expressing some kind of no about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Resistance. Right. Cause that, that's also, so, you know, there's with Mars, we, you know, there's, there are a lot of sort of kinetic actions we associate with Mars. Um, but Mars is also like refusing, not just saying no, but like to take it to a bodily level, which, Mars likes Mars is, you know, one of the more bodily of the planets, um, you know, like refusing to, to be moved. Right. Um, you think of, uh, somebody's trying to like make you leave a room, you can say no, but then when, um, when somebody tries to move your body, like you can resist, right? Like be like, no, I'm staying here. Or I think of my cat, um, when he's really excited about being in a specific place, I'm like, okay, we're going to move. And he like tenses up and digs in like, that's, that's, that's like a bodily refusal. Like, no, not, not moving. Relatable. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my cat, really f- not me. <laughs> you know, it's really funny when you mentioned, um, protest, it suddenly made me realize and connect something I hadn't connected before, which is this string of protests that's actually been happening since October with the Mars square neptune um but it's been the i think i guess they're climate activists that it started with that van gogh painting where they went up in mid-october and they threw soup on it um and then a video of that like went viral because people were just like outraged they just destroyed this like priceless painting but then um it turned out that it was like behind glass so it's sort of like they're giving the illusion of having destroyed a priceless painting in order to get their protest message out there um, in what looked like an act of destruction, which is very Mars-like, but it was like square Neptune. So it was deceptive in some ways in order to serve the the ends that they wanted it to serve. Mars square Neptune is like totally throwing soup. (laughs) Just is like a perfect metaphor. But I I have been thinking also a lot about protests during the Mars retrograde because um, the protests in Iran started almost to the day after Mars entered its shadow. Well, I think mm-hmm. maybe a week later, because um, I, I think um, the murder of the woman who that initiated all of the protests that are happening there, I think was September 15th. I could be wrong, but it was right around the start of the shadow as well. And so it feels like that story is a huge part of the retrograde as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the period where, um, yeah, Mars was warming up, and then it was it was rolled by, and then t- and tightly configured uh, to that Mercury retrograde, right? And that's you know yeah, and that's that's what turned it from as we say like an in a, a singular uh, tragedy slash atrocity into a societal um, movement. Yeah. And then more recently, there was another story in the news, which was the um, shooting at the Q nightclub, which was like a a queer nightclub here in Colorado. And I didn't have necessarily an astrological take on that, except I did notice over the past few days after that, that the shooter afterwards who survived and was brought into custody started um, claiming that he was non-binary and that started going around. But then a lot of people were pushing back and saying that he was not 
non-binary, but instead was just using that in order to further antagonize the uh, queer community, which he he targeted in that shooting and, and killing a number of people. So it struck me as another sort of like Mars Neptune type type thing. Mm-hmm. Also, the just the Mars and Gemini, the adding the words. Um, and there was a there were uh, there was another shooting last week as well. I was uh, like the it, you know um, uh, it, it was just sort of the like oh it's Mars retrograde. It's kind of all over the place. Like that's part of the quality of the Mars and Gemini, um, you know, in a, in a dual sign and a, a multiple sign, like you get, you don't get one, you don't just get one thing, right? Like it's fireworks going off in a variety of different places, you know, the cardinal signs and even the, the fixed signs really tend to focus on one big thing. Um, but like with mutable signs, it's just sort of going, it's happening lots of different ways in lots of different places. Um, and you get that, you get that doubling effect. Yeah, yes, Mars and sure. Gemini is almost like a kind of option paralysis. Like there's there's too many too many possibilities, um, and kind of like engines firing in all directions. Right. Well, and that that's the um that and that that sort of brings uh that actually it brings it back to me to the the point about you get like paralysis where I'm trying to move in eight directions at once, so I'm standing still, or you get. Um, you know, from what I understand of the Twitter thing, you get like Elon Musk literally moving in eight directions, but one after another with no coherent movement pattern, you get like chaos or paralysis as a sort of default. Yeah. I forgot. Also, there's been just like huge amount of tech layoffs over the past couple of months and especially over the past month, with Mars going through Gemini as another thing, because Mars just like is good at cutting things out or removing, or as you're saying, negating things. Um, all right, so that's the full full moon, which is like the first week or two of the month. Um, just a couple of days later, we actually have the auspicious electional chart that I wanted to highlight this month. So why don't we take a look at that? So this occurs on December tenth, twenty twenty two, starting at around twelve thirty five p.m. local time. So that you want to adjust the ascendant. So the ascendant is at about twenty seven degrees or so of Pisces, right at the end of Pisces. And there you'll find Jupiter, which is at 29 degrees of Pisces. So this is a day chart. We're taking advantage of Jupiter being in the very, very last degree of Pisces right before it departs that sign for the next 11 years and moves into Aries. Um, So this is a Jupiter election. It's a day chart with Jupiter in its own domicile in the first house conjunct the degree of the ascendant. So it's very good for all Jupiter-related things. Jupiter is also ruling the tenth house of career, reputation, and social standing. So it could be good for things pertaining to that as well. Um, the Moon is in Cancer in the fifth whole sign house, the place of good fortune in Hellenistic astrology, and the Moon is applying to and has a nice trine with Jupiter um, that it's applying to within thirteen degrees, which is very helpful and supportive for the Moon, especially. As the moon is coming off of that full moon with Mars and Gemini, um, but is now like safely out of that range. Um, at this point in the month, it's not just Mercury and Venus, but also the Sun is finally separating from Mars and separating from that opposition. So one of the downsides for this chart is that we had to make Mars angular in the fourth whole sign house in a day chart. Um, but we tried to move it so that it's not on the exact degree of the IC, so that the IC is later in the sign. And it also has some mitigation from Jupiter being in a superior sign-based square overcoming Mars and therefore trying to tone it down a little bit 
um, by putting Jupiter in the dominant position. Um, Venus is up there in the 11th whole sign house, which is good for friends and groups, and it's not too far off of the degree of the midheaven. And um, yeah, those are the, those are the major things with this with this chart, uh, trying to get the very capture the very last of Jupiter and Pisces before Jupiter is gone for a while. Um, what sort of things have you two used like Jupiter elections for this year, or Jupiter and Pisces elections for? Well. Um, you know, if you can stick Jupiter in the first, it, uh, which, you know, which you have and, you know, which you can for a lot of charts, um, you know, it, it kind of, it'll half fix, um, three quarters of elections. You know, I've actually uh, just been going back over Dorotheus oh, for a lot of this month, um, and looking at, you know, the sort of, uh, prototypical electional manual and, you know, there's, uh, different elections have different specific requirements, but pretty much all of them get way better. If you stick Jupiter in the first, in a, <laughs> um, with like in a strong position. Um, so I would say one it's, you know, it sort of makes the, the chart better for a lot of things than it would be. Um, for that in particular, for, you know, for me, I'll just say, so Jupiterian elections, um, launching a class, right. Um, uh, announcing a teaching endeavor, right. Very simple. Um, very Jupiterian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've used it for a few classes and things like that too. And, uh, I actually used the Jupiter Neptune conjunction to send a bunch of emails to record labels back in April <laughs> because of where it was in my chart. And nice. um, it ended up being successful and uh, like leading to a contract with one of my favorite labels. Mm -hmm. So that was a really nice Jupiter moment. And uh, I've also I, I had like a fun, a couple of funny like Jupiter experiences through the year because I've been having some nice Jupiter transits um, where I won a bunch of like contests, which seemed like a nice random like Jupiter perk. So that's been a fun thing. Yeah, that's great. Uh yeah, like Jupiter, Jupiter is success, victory, um, you know, winning. Um, it's, you know, sort of, uh, Jupiter has a very strong relationship to these sort of blanket positives. Um, and so, you know, generally, if, if it's something that you would like to succeed at, Jupiter can help as the planet uh, that brings success. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's a nice, the opposite of what we were talking about, Mars and the malefics. Sometimes, taking away or negating things earlier, Jupiter does the opposite. It affirms or it says yes to things. So if you put it right on the ascendant, when you're trying to accomplish something where you want a positive outcome, then it's more likely to say yes to whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, to give an example, um, where's I'm not sure where Mercury was in that chart. Was it like early, mid, cap? Yeah. Um, but just as Okay. So that's, that's a little, yeah, that's, a, that's a little early for what I was going to say. But, um, uh, for example, in Dorotheus, um, there's the election, there's electional parameters for when you would like to ask for something and get a yes. And the baseline for that is Jupiter configured with Mercury so that when you ask, you get a yes. And then Dorotheus says, you know, avoid Mercury conjunct Mercury with Saturn. Cause when you ask, you'll get a no. 
Um, but it's like that, that's that uh, affirmative property. And also in that case, uh, generous, right? Because if you're asking somebody for something, you would like them to be in a generous giving mood. Mm. Yeah. I mean, or, that. yeah, go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead. Well, just, just thinking about like that specific chart that we're looking at, it's like, okay, well, what would you want to say yes to with this chart? And Jupiter at 29 degrees of Pisces is like the ultimate state of possibility <laughs> reminds mm -hmm. me of like, um, like in the water cycle, like right before water evaporates, that's like 29 degrees of Pisces to me where it's like, uh, like half evaporated or something. And so if someone is trying to open up some state of possibility or like make some kind of change or transition, that feels like a nice chart for Jupiter to be able to say yes to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jupiter is also ruling the 10th and the sun. So it's saying yes, it's supporting whatever the sun wants to do in the 10th. And, you know, although we often simplify the 10th to professional matters, um, you know, it's really action in the world, like going out and doing a thing in the world is to some degree always 10th. Right. And so Jupiter ruling the first and saying yes to whatever 10th house activities are there is, um, you know, like that chart, that chart's, um, that chart's really good for a pretty wide variety of things that like, uh, moon in the fifth in cancer, just supporting what's in the first, the uh, Jupiter in the first ruling the 10th. Like there's a lot of like, like I, I would say that that's a pretty, I don't know, it's a multi-use election. Yeah, for sure. Especially just taking advantage of days when the moon is training Jupiter is always a good idea electional wise. And that's one of the reasons we focused in on that chart as the best election for this month. So that was not the only electional chart, though, we found because Lisa Scheim and I each month do a monthly auspicious elections podcast, which is one of the benefits uh, through our page on Patreon, where we go through and find at least four other auspicious electional charts. We actually gave people, I think, like 10 charts. That give different lucky dates for the month of uh, throughout the month of December in that 45 minute podcast. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash elections. And then Lisa and I also recently released our 2023 electional astrology report where we went through all 12 months of 2023 and we picked out the single best date that we could find in each of the next 12 months so that you can basically get electional charts for the entire next year if you need to plan ahead or schedule something like starting a business or having a wedding or going on a major trip or what have you that needs more long-term things. So you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. All right. So um, that's good. We've completed the first half of the month. Well, um, let's, we should really talk about um, Mercury and Venus moving into Cap. Right, because I I don't regret any of the uh, immense time we spent on Mars because it's such a theme. Mm -hmm. But you know, uh, as a second point, we do have Mercury and Venus both moving moving into Cap pretty early and staying there for the majority of the month. That is true. So here's in the electional chart, we see that Venus has just moved into Capricorn on December 10th. So at that point, both planets are firmly in that sign. Um, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, so, um, 
uh, okay, so one thing in particular is that Mercury's movement has more impact than normal because Mercury is running Mars and Gemini. The roar of Mars and Gemini is that Mercury, right? All of this, um, you know, this all of this movement we've talked about with um, Mars and Gemini, all of this speech that we've talked about with Mars and Gemini, it's all Mercury's domain. Um, <clears throat> and so Mercury changing signs from like fast, uh, fast, loud, bright Sagittarius into much more into slower, more strategic, um, pessimistic Capricorn is a is a meaningful is a very meaningful shift. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I guess on a simple level, like Mercury and Cap is more like, OK, well, so how does this change the playing field? Right. You know, all this stuff's happening, but it's like, okay, like, be, like, let's look at the map, right. Rather than just the, the street view, like, okay, so how does this change the terrain? Um, and then how do I plan for that? Or how do I adjust or what do I do in the playing field that all this stuff is created? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, and that's going to become more important because it's not just uh, like most of the time the Mercury transit would be just a quick little jaunt, like three week jaunt through that sign of Capricorn. But instead, later this month on December 28th, Mercury is going to slow down in station retrograde and then spend the next three weeks backtracking uh, through Capricorn and just like sitting in that sign, both dwelling on some of those significations as well as revisiting some from earlier in December. Mm -hmm. and so, go ahead, Austin. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, if you think about all this, you know, all the stuff that's already in play that is um, <clears throat> probably gonna get faster and louder um, uh, 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 during that full moon, right? Think about all of the all the things that are in the air. It's a lot of changing changing the map or changing the, the position of pieces on the board and the terrain of the board. Like things are uh, things are very much in motion right now. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that the phase after this one, you know, by the end of December, uh, is going to be like, okay, so let's, so where are things now? Right. Cause they're different than they were six months ago. Like what's, what's going on? Like really, you know, we always do that, uh, or there's a sort of collective, um, taking stock, um, when the sun's in Capricorn and we have the beginning of the secular year, like that that's always there but it's like doubly important right because the you know this this last quarter there's just a ton of stuff in play mm -hmm. and that sense of uh a lot of the planets starting to move into cardinal signs instead of like their their time in in the more mutable signs and that's that idea of taking stock feels very cardinal to me as well or very capricorn like okay so what are we going to do about it or what are we going to do here Right, right. And Cardinal Earth, right? Not Cardinal Fire, which is like, let's go, but like, let's hurry up and sit down and think this through really carefully on a strategic level, right? Like, that's the Capricorn thing. Like, let's hurry up and make a plan rather than let's just act. Mm -hmm. And with Venus and Capricorn, that plan has to have something of value to it. Like, there has to be some kind of meaning or value to the action steps. Yeah. How do I how do how do i get what i want slash need um in this version of the world um and just to go back to what you're saying about you know right now and for the <clears throat> first part 
of December, it's mutable. And mutable, mutable is very much like, okay, this is how I'm going to adapt in the middle of the game, right? It's, um, you know, it's late rounds of a fight. It's the fourth quarter of a game. Um, you know, it's end game in chess where, you know, you can't go back and um, set things up the way you want. You just got to work with things as they are, right? With what you have. Um, but, but Cardinal, especially Cardinal Earth, Capricorn is like, okay, now, like it's the when uh, what am I going to do? How should we say? How am I, how am I going to set myself up uh, for success when the next game begins? Mm-hmm. It's less responsive in that way. Mm-hmm. Like mutable placements are, like you said, just often like responding to what is, whereas cardinal placements want to initiate the next thing, and so it feels like a huge kind of shift in the tone of everything as well as being into the second half of the Mars retrograde where it is often easier to initiate something that might have been getting fumbled in the first half yeah and the a lot of even though Mars will continue to be retrograde until was it 12th 13th of January and will still be in Gemini until the end of March um a lot of the Mars Mars retrograde has played a lot of the its cards um, and those cards might get replayed in future hands, um, but it's not, um, it won't be a surprise, right? Um, <laughs> like, you know, like, yes, these themes, but it's one thing when like, yep, it's still this, but it's been this for a while. I'm used to it or I'm adapted to it versus like, holy shit, I didn't know that we were playing. I didn't know you had that card. Whereas Mars has, um, <laughs> you know, played some of the, some of his more unpleasant cards several times already. And so, you know, anyway, so even though it's not over the simply like it becoming a known makes it planable, like unknowns you are much harder to plan around. Yeah, that's a good point. There's already a trajectory heading into it. Um, one of the things we have to talk about if we're talking about the Mercury and its ingress as well as Venus's ingress into Capricorn is just when Mercury stations retrograde at the end of December, it's pretty closely conjunct Pluto from 24 Capricorn to 27 Capricorn. And Venus actually catches up to and conjoins Mercury just like within that same time frame around the 29th at 24 Capricorn. And then Venus goes on to conjoin Pluto um, on the final day of the month, actually on December 31st and January 1st, it looks like. So we have this whole clustering of Mercury. And Venus conjoining Pluto at the very end of the month, and that being part of the opening signature of that Mercury station and that early retrograde period. Um, so Mercury-Pluto combinations, as we've gone over before on the forecasts, whenever this has happened, when Mercury stations in a hard aspect of Pluto have this sometimes like obsessive quality when it comes to communications, sometimes trying to get to the bottom of things, and sometimes that can re- result in things like disclosures or um, the the putting out into the open of that which was secret and the attempt to investigate and then get down to the bottom of something and then to bring it back up from the depths, whether that's like a public story and a public thing that happens in terms of disclosures or whether it's a, a personal one. Um, it has that that quality that sort of like investigative but also like obsessive quality of of getting to the bottom of things. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot actually as we approach that retrograde because um 
it's also all, almost to the degree where Venus stationed retrograde at the end of last December. I think that was 26 degrees of Capricorn. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously that's in the realm of all those like massive Capricorn conjunctions of 2020 as well. And so I feel like there's this interesting theme where like Venus went back to dip into that and like bring that back to the surface. And now Mercury is coming to bring that back to the surface. Like there's this sense of the retrogrades, um, like continuing to hearken back to the themes from 2020 that were happening and sort of like pulling them up from the dregs in a way. That's such a great point because that might then, for some people, or maybe some news stories, the Mercury stationing there in those degrees conjunct Pluto could be like the the investigation or the relitigation or return to of a discussion of something that happened a year ago when Venus was going retrograde there conjunct Pluto. That whatever that Venus retrograde story was for different people, um, something about that coming back and having to be discussed again now, starting at the end of December and going into early January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the you know, it's not just Pluto. Like Pluto does always the Pluto Mercury does, as you said, Chris, always give you that um like a uh, uh, disclosure or discovery of secrets. Um but Pluto at the end of Capricorn, you know, the end of Capricorn is um a place loaded with uh symbolism around power right like throne tops of hierarchies um you know it's the uh, uh, you can see the 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 four of coins which shows um uh, a man sitting on a city's skyline as if it were a throne right you have that like secrets of those in power um and you know the yeah the what <laughs> the uh the thing the secret that the that the throne is sitting on top of to conceal and whose weight um uh disguises it um and with venus right like that that's just a great point Aaron, because it's it like venus is right there and as you said chris it's like that's the uh that's the signature of the initiation of the retrograde movement and so i know that uh, with venus it made me it makes me think of some of the um uh the how should we say uh, the like uh sex scandals uh that were that were happening at that time i believe our Venus retrograde on Pluto at the beginning of the year or last year, beginning of the year, that was, that was the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. And that's when Prince, whatever the fuck, um, really got dragged in and has, and as a result, he has since I believe been stripped of multiple titles and maybe stripped of more. Um, but I remember that, that not being the only, um, you know, uh, should we say like Venus scandal, right? Like illicit, um, sexual behavior. Um, and so I wonder if, like you were saying, some of that's going to get dragged back up. Yeah, I mean, the other Venus retrograde thing, Venus and Capricorn that came up was the um, invasion of the Ukraine by Russia was very tied into the Venus retrograde. So it wouldn't be surprising if something related to that comes up again at the end of December and early January with Mercury stationing retrograde there on the same degrees. Actually, yeah, because that will be right around the time of like the ending oh no jupiter will be in aries by then never mind i was going to make a point about that take it back Mm. (laughs) yeah that's something we'll have to talk about so um yeah so mercury pluto also like power plays control issues of manipulation and other things like that are common factors um since venus is going to be tied up in the mix then it does bring in 
issues related to like relationships and and relationships between people, um, sometimes abuses of power between people or attempts to manipulate or control people through um, different ways or through sometimes just like feelings or issues of love and jealousy and things like that. Um, all of that really, it's interesting how it, um, at least in terms of Venus, Venus hits Pluto basically on New Year's Eve. So for a number of people, one of the signatures of New Year's Eve this year is going to be that Venus-Pluto conjunction, which is a pretty intense signature in terms of interpersonal relationships. And sometimes at that time can start very intense relationships, but also they can be a little bit challenging due to the, the level of intensity. Yeah. Uh, Venus-Pluto, especially in Capricorn, um, really pushes um, Venusian signatures either to an extreme where there's like obsession, mm -hmm. um, but then also completely negates them. You also have like with Venus Pluto, you also have like complete, like feeling completely alone and isolated. Right. And so, you know, if you, uh, if your feelings are going in that direction around the end of the year, um, just, you know, Venus will change signs within, you know, less than a week. Like you're not going to feel that way forever. Um, but that's, you know, it's a period of time that um, people often feel uh, more depressed or isolated. The hallways and Venus conjunct Pluto is a temporary um, intensification of that. Mm -hmm. And it has all of those like Venus and the underworld kind of themes to it. And, you know, depending on which story you're looking at, Venus is often brought to the underworld against their will not not necessarily by choice so it does kind of have that sense of like um places that we are dragged to or places that we must go to that aren't really our choice but bring us into this like other side of human experience yeah for sure um all right so yeah so that's the venus in capricorn and also mercury in capricorn which is basically the entire uh, second part of the month, once most once those two planets make their way um, out of Sagittarius and into that sign, with Mercury first ingressing into Capricorn on December sixth, and Venus going in on the ninth, and then I was looking at the dates, and it looks like Mercury um, enters its shadow degree at eight degrees of Capricorn already on December twelfth. So basically, just two days after our auspicious election this month, which is why part of why we chose that date, Mercury already enters into the degrees that it will later retrograde back to. So at that point from December 12th onwards, it's kind of important to pay attention to what you're doing because in some instances for certain people, um, something that you initiate once during the first few weeks of the month, you'll actually have to come back to and revisit, especially in January when Mercury returns to those degrees. Yeah. I mean, on a somewhat tongue-in-cheek but not completely level um you know you may want to delay uh, enacting your or finalizing your new year's resolutions until mid-january when mercury is actually direct mm -hmm. right because it really is about you know uh mercury mercury and capricorn especially um in a retrograde cycle really has that like when a plan comes together energy like it's it's worth it's worth taking extra time to have the right plan, right? You know, even if it needs to be delayed. And also worth noting is that um, 
um, <clears throat> in one system, Mercury is the ruler of that third decan uh, of Capricorn. And, <clears throat> you know, if, if we think about power in Mercury, it's about, um, you know, it's about writing a decree, right? Or carving something into stone, which is what we want when we're like um, imagining a habit change or a lifestyle change, right? You know, we're, we want that to be carved into the, the rock of our lives and to guide our actions rather than being a whim, right? Rather than being words spoken, which are gone as soon as um, the vibration ceases, you know, we want to, um, you know, talismanify or carve um, those, those statements, those intentions. Mm, yeah. Mercury yeah. direct is definitely a better time and way to do that, especially because Mars will station, I think just like a few days before Mercury stations in January. So it does have that feeling that like, anything we try to make stick in like the first couple of weeks of January might then be undone after that. Right. Or we might be like, Oh, you know, I should have, um, I totally didn't take this into account. We're going to have to scratch it and go back to the drawing board. And you end up coming up with a new plan when everything's direct anyway. All right. So, um, and in order to further focus on that, maybe we'll hit our second lunation of the month as well as the Jupiter ingress. So, we talked about the full moon in Gemini, which is taking place on the 7th, and then we have a new moon in Capricorn on the 23rd of December, and just a few days before that, Jupiter changes signs and moves from Pisces into Aries, which is another cardinal sign on the 20th of December. So that ends up tying that Jupiter ingress into the new moon because it means the new moon basically takes place at one degree of Capricorn. And it's squaring Jupiter at zero degrees of Aries at that time. So that new moon's gonna put more of the focus on some of those Capricorn transits that we were already talking about towards the end of the month with Mercury going retrograde and Venus hitting Mercury and Pluto. Um, so some of that is a little bit similar to what we've all been talking about already here. But one of the things we definitely have to talk about is the Jupiter ingress of Ari into Aries. Where it's returning back to a sign of the zodiac and a spot in the zodiac that it was already in earlier this year for several months as it was transiting through that sign. So, do, did either of you feel like you got a good feel of how Jupiter in Aries was earlier this year and some of the themes that came up that were like distinctive in terms of news stories or like personal stories? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's uh, Jupiter in Aries is bold. You know, it, it's it's a little bit of uh, it's much more. How should we say? Uh, uh, um, it's mu uh, it's much less risk averse than Jupiter and Pisces. The Jupiter and Pisces is sort of do the wise, compassionate, like patient, long term, fruitful thing. Where Jupiter and Aries is a little bit more like Nike slogan. It's a little bit more just do it, like the. The benefits that are gained by ceasing your deliberations and just just do it, you know, just just move forward. Um, and that's and again, there are you know, the, uh, Aries is not a bad place for Jupiter, right? So that's often good advice that solves a lot of problems of inaction and excessive in, uh, internal deliberation. But it can be bad advice when Mars is retrograde, which Mars being the ruler of Jupiter and Aries, some of that just do it energy um, may be a little premature. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's some of my impressions of Jupiter and Aries. Yeah, I found it uh, like personally more satisfying than Jupiter and Neptune. Uh, excuse me, Jupiter and Pisces. Even though I know that you know it's at home in Pisces, but like Austin's saying, Jupiter and Aries is not a bad Jupiter. Like it has triplicity there, and I because of my personality prefer the like just do it over the deliberation so <laughs> for me it, it like suits a lot of action better to have jupiter and aries and i feel like having it ingress back into the sign might be a welcome relief over the transits that we've had from the last few months because there has been a lot of responding and process and deliberation and some of those more mutable qualities and the qualities with Mars and Neptune in the retrograde. And I feel like Jupiter moving into that Aries point will be a little bit like piercing through the veil um, or like the image that comes to mind is like trying to aim an arrow through the fog to something on the other side of the fog. Yeah. Yeah. Jupiter and uh, Jupiter and Pisces is definitely not uh, arrows, right? It's definitely not focused. Um but yeah, and that's another quality is the it's like a the, like a like a bubble gun. <laughs> yeah, like if you're trying to turn Jupiter and Pisces into a gun, you're probably doing it wrong. Um, unless it's like, you know, some sort of like um like uh like an EMP, like a, a, a pulse weapon might be correct for Jupiter and Pisces, but it's not like a short you know, like a, a small pokey explodey thing. That's uh that's much more Aries. Can you um, make an EMP out of like feels or vibes? I mean, that's what EMPs are. Okay. Yeah. It's an electromagnetic pulse. Okay. It's just yeah. sending nice vibes. That's or, the, yeah. you know, <laughs> or f figuring out, yeah, figuring out how to weaponize your bad vibes. Mm. Okay. Um, but w another point about Jupiter and Aries, right? If if Jupiter carries this um wisdom teaching um philosophy of um guru energy right like in aries we have um you know we, we instead of being sort of the archetypal um font of wisdom in pisces we have like the coach right who's the coach is there to help you do things better right to help you win more to be more effective at doing right and there's a like um, understanding the game you're playing better um, aspect of that. There's understanding your you're reviewing your performance so it can improve. But that's you know Jupiter and Aries is much more like coach than it is um, teacher, or it's the you know it's that style of teacher. Yeah. Um, so I was looking back at the dates, and Ju Jupiter was in Aries from early May basically through late October when it retrograded into Pisces. So that was the initial preview of that that people can think back to especially in terms of whatever whole sign house Jupiter dipped into during that time because mm -hmm. you may see a return to and a reactivation of similar topics in your chart when Jupiter goes back in um, and it definitely had like a much different vibe earlier this year of like uh as you're saying like the first into the breach or like you only live once kind of vibe that was much more uh forward movement oriented I felt like than the more diffuse Jupiter and Pisces lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does have that sense of um direction versus like the more diffuse energy that we've had with it. And I think like the 
timing of that ingress along with the new moon a couple days later that's going to square jupiter and and we'll have both the new moon and jupiter at like very early cardinal degrees at that time has the sense of like initiating a new chapter like turning the page over or something like that to it yeah it's all very appropriate end of the year stuff yeah. It's very like, okay, you know, with all the the sort of planning and replanning energy with the Mercury and the Mercury about to go retrograde with Venus and the sun and moon in cap. Um, and then, you know, with Jupiter sort of there for those gatherings, it's sort of like a plan to, you know, just do it right. Or a, a, a more, it's uh, like we we're saying earlier, cardinal signs are very um, proactive in, in their respective ways. Um, you know, uh, cancer may not seem like a proactive sign, but there's literally, um, like gathering information, gathering, you know, uh, assessing things. So, you know, how to act, right. It's being actively careful and being like, okay, what, you know, what, um, what is effective here, reading the room, et cetera, et cetera. It's like active infra, you know, vibe scanning and Capricorn is it, again, doesn't look um, like reckless, like Aries can look, but it's nonetheless a very active um, sort of terrain assessment um, so that you can put together a plan. One of our keywords earlier this year for Aries was um, ready, shoot, aim, and, and the idea of just like shooting from the hip and like just doing it, um, but that sometimes you might have to go back and revise that because uh, your first shot may not be as on target because you're just um, not really planning things out very well. And I get a feeling that this initial part of this ingress and this lunation has that quality to it just because it's on the cusp of like Mercury stationing retrograde not too long after that, just six days later, and then having to go back to earlier in that sign. And similarly, Mars um, is about 20 days away from uh, stationing direct still by the end of December, by December 23rd on this new moon. So there's still this quality of Mars finishing up its retrograde cycle and going back to previous periods. So even though there might be this impulse, at least initially with Jupiter and Aries, to just take action and um, have immediate aggressive growth, um, some of the initial shots might not be exactly on target, and you may have to go back and try again later or take a, a second attempt at things. Yeah, I think that's that's really good advice because you know if we just look up look at the chain of rulership, <clears throat> Jupiter and Aries ruled by Mars retrograde, Mars retrograde ruled by Mercury about to go retrograde, right? So there's uh, if we follow the chain of command, <coughs> right? There's a lot of well, it depends on this, and then the you know I've got to wait until the person um, that I'm getting you know my information from you know is sure sure about it, you know it's like. <clears throat> like that that ability to act <clears throat> with certainty and without hesitation is great but you got to save that for the right moment it's the what is that the don't don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes or something that's a quote although it's still you know um that doesn't mean you shouldn't necessarily give it a shot you should just be open to trying and failing or trying you know doing it seeing what your mistake is and then um, being willing to learn from that and move forward from there. Cause I, I was thinking about this a lot lately where sometimes like people, um, 
when they're doing something new, they can sometimes get paralyzed by trying to make everything perfect the first time. And eventually, if you if you stick with that, and if you stick with the idea of not doing anything until it's perfect, like you'll never actually sometimes in the worst manifestations actually end up accomplishing anything because sometimes it's only through trial and error that you can grow. Um, and you have to just put yourself out there and, and like try to do something and then move from there rather than trying to do it perfectly the very first time. So I think that's going to be one of the great lessons Jupiter and Aries this year, especially once we get out of December and January, once the planets start moving forward again, um, that'll be one of the great lessons is that sometimes just do it um, is the way to learn, even if it's not perfect at first. Yeah, yeah, Jupiter, uh, Jupiter r- running the school of hard knocks in Aries. Yeah, I don't think Aries is concerned with getting it perfectly, but it, it kind of makes me think of I, I don't know the exact date, but at some point Jupiter will make a conjunction to Chiron uh, when it gets to like eleven or twelve degrees of Aries, and that may be the point at which we realize we have to go back and do the thing over again. Um, but we'll see. I could be wrong about that. I just turned Chiron into my chart, and interestingly, it looks like it's stationing at this date on the new moon around December 23rd. It's stationing at 11 Aries. Exactly. It's right on the new moon, which I thought was really... It almost feels like a foreshadow of when Jupiter will get to that conjunction, um, because it's stationing on the new moon as the new moon is squaring Jupiter. And so it feels like some kind of setup for whatever will happen at that date when they finally meet up. In terms of you know Chiron and some of its themes of like recognizing past wounds or or hurts or other things like that. Mm-hmm. And I find that Chiron also often speaks to patterns that we have, and so we might find that whatever we were just doing at the beginning of Jupiter and Aries was like coming from some kind of like familiar impulse that we have, and maybe we need to like reconfigure our first response or our first reaction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um and not so as to not proceed from a place of of being hurt from the past, but instead to proceed from a place of truly understanding what the what the present is and what the appropriate action is to take based on the present and the future rather than the past. Mhm. And I think Jupiter in Aries has this really lovely feeling of experimentation to it as well like i'm just going to try this out just just to like see what it's like and there's like a lot of really beautiful playfulness in that experimentation that i think might be like the the converse of like acting from the chiron place which is like because it's coming from some sort of repetitive wound mm, okay definitely um so quick question, did Jupiter conjoin Chiron this year? Um it, it probably got pretty close cuz it got uh stationed at 8 degrees of Aries in okay. July, so it would so, have come within a few degrees. Okay, so shy but no conjunction or no 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 by degree conjunction. And it'll just make that one conjunction cuz it's going to power straight through Aries. Got it. Okay. Um, so that might be a little preview, like looking back to that past conjunction in terms of what the one coming up will mean uh, sometime next year. All right. So, and then finally, by the time we get to end of December, one of the things that's really nice that I like is the Uranus Saturn square at this point is getting really far away 
Um, by the end of the year, Saturn's at 22 Aquarius, and Uranus is at uh, you know the middle of Taurus still uh, retrograde. So they're starting to get some distance and some of the shakeups and instability from that square that we've been experiencing on and off almost over the past three years since you know mid to early 2020 are going to start to to fall into the past a little bit, which I think is really good, especially for anybody with. Um, placements in the middle of the fixed signs. Yeah, and that's that's another piece of that um that that sort of let's reassess the landscape energy at the end of the month and next month, right? Because it's it's the end it's basically the end of uh, as you said on and off 3 years of this like shake up energy, right? Like we look at the like the the devastated remains of various houses of cards, like you know, um, what <laughs> um, some of what was once mighty has fallen. Some of this and that, like um, because it really is the the end of that small era. And soon enough, you know, beginning of March, we get Saturn moving into Pisces, whole new chapter, not only a new sign, but um, also different um, outer planet configuration. We move from Saturn Uranus to Saturn Neptune. And for many years, right? And so this, you know, this is sort of the um, how should we say? We can look back. We can start to look where we can start to look back now at the Saturn Uranus square years. This is the like epitaph or whatever phase. Yeah, especially coming off of the eclipses and now getting out of eclipse season. And I think that was the last, even though we're going to have a continuation of some fixed sign eclipses into next year when it starts moving into. Starts moving off of the Taurus Scorpio axis and into the Aries Libra axis, which is another shift away from fixed signs. Um, this last set of eclipses was the last one that will be fully in uh, that axis of Taurus and Scorpio. So I feel like that was um, just throwing gasoline on the fire of the Saturn Uranus square for many people. And already in December, like coming out of that and starting to get more distance from some of the instability and the major changes of those eclipses for fixed signs. Um, feels like a, a nice shift um, in some ways as well. Yeah, it feels like Saturn has this very purposeful direction right now because it made that station in late October, like w- while it was in the midst of that last exact square to Uranus. But from that station, we'll just clear through the rest of um, Aquarius into Pisces. And I often think about like, when slower planets ingress, I often think back to the last time they stationed direct, like before they make that ingress. And that chapter of time can have um, like a really cathartic sense of unfolding or, or that something comes to fruition that's been in the works or in process um, through its retrogrades in the last sign. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I see that. It's something that won't be rewritten especially or overwritten especially because saturn's doing a a no take backsies ingress into pisces never like not coming back to aquarius for what 27 years yeah and therefore bringing to completion that story of what saturn and aquarius has meant ever since it went into aquarius way back in like march and april of 2020 it's been three years now almost that Everyone's been experiencing that transit of Saturn through Aquarius and through a specific sector or house of their chart at this point. And whatever the story is that that's been telling um, is going to start to wrap up and, and come to a close. Mm, yeah, thank God. Um, 
Bring me, bring me fresh hells. These, uh, these stale ones grow tiresome. Saturn Neptune will be the fresh hell, but that's for later us to deal with. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll save some of that discussion about Saturn in Pisces for the year ahead forecast, which we're going to record next month in December. So, um, is there anything else we should touch base on before we wrap up this episode? I think we covered quite a bit. All the major beats of of december we've we've kind of covered slowly at different points yeah i don't i don't think we i don't think we missed anything okay awesome well uh thanks for joining us for this today Aaron. this has been awesome uh it's great to have you on a forecast so happy to be here i love doing forecasting so yeah it's been really usually it's just me by myself so it's really fun to get to chat about it with you guys yeah yeah it's been nice what do you have coming up or what are you working on this month in terms of your astrological work? So I have on December 16th, I'm doing a 2023 astro weather workshop. Um, and that'll be either live on Zoom for those who can make it in the afternoon or people can um, sign up to get the recording after. And then uh, in early January, I'm doing a light weaving training, which is connected to the other body of work that I do. And light weaving is like a really simple energy-based tool that people can use to set and activate intention. Um, it's it's quite funny and effective. I actually was like having tech difficulties like right before this and my microphone sounded like Oscar the Grouch or something. Um, and then I did some light weaving and then I came back to it and it was totally fixed. So it's almost like a comical thing that I love using, but anyways, so those are my upcoming workshops. And then I've also, um, launched a new kind of offering for my clients where I'm, I've been unofficially doing like family chart readings for many years, but realized I had never like formally offered it as something that I do with my clients where we can go through. A whole set of family charts together and look at the different patterns um, and themes, which is very much connected to the podcast that Chris and I did. Um, so those things and yeah, continuing to offer readings and and do one-on-one -on -one sessions, which is always really fun. Nice. Awesome. And what's your website URL again? It's Um, and it's spelled with an A and an E. So in case anyone's confused. <laughs> Perfect. I'll put a link to that in the description for this episode. Um, Austin, what do you have coming up? Well, we've got uh, through Sphere and Sundry, we have an uh, we have a new Jupiter and Pisces series that's launching first week. It is uh, codename Butter Ocean. Um, it nice. is. Uh, it is. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It's it's lux It's thick and luxurious um, and high calorie in the best of ways. Um, and then other than that, I'm going to be doing, you know, yearly stuff with you. And I, I, this is probably going to be too late for a lot of the people, but maybe not, um, for the people here, it depends on when you release it, Chris, but, uh, I'm also doing another round of, um, uh, of opening my year one class on December 1st. Um, uh, please sign up for the mailing list. So, cause it's going to go out the mailing list first. And then the next day, if there are any slots left, it'll be public, but there haven't been so far. So sign up for the mailing list. Don't dig around the website for it. Just sign up for the mailing list. I'm going to put out an email on Sunday, um, specifying exactly what time of day it will be released. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's uh, new year one openings. 
Butter Ocean in year one. That's it. Awesome. And what are the website URLs? Uh, it's spherencentury.com and austincopic.com. Cool. All right. Um, as for myself, uh, I just launched our 2023 astrology calendar posters. So all the graphics that we use in these episodes, we actually put onto a print calendar, which you can put up on your wall, which shows all of the major alignments of 2023. So you can find that at theastrologypodcast.com slash store. And I'm also going to have some other merch up there, including some new mugs and other stuff just in time for the holidays. Um, other than that, I recently launched a new astrological consultations page because people are constantly asking either me for consultations or asking me who I recommend. So I actually have a list of recommended astrologers now, which is available at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. There are often um, many guests that have been featured on the podcast over the years, and they're people that I feel confident sending clients to if you'd like to get your birth chart read, or some of them do horary consultations or electional or other offerings. So you can get a 10% discount on a consultation with any of those astrologers by using the promo code astrologypodcast when you book a consultation with them. So um, that's what I got going on, and otherwise I'm thinking about doing the year ahead forecast with you next month, Austin, and then also I'm getting geared up to possibly do uh, horoscopes, yearly horoscopes for each of the 12 rising signs. So you should see those coming out over the course of the next few weeks. All right. Thank you both for joining me today. This is awesome. We got we covered so much. I'm actually surprised we packed it all in, but I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's been really lovely. And thank you both for having me. It's really fun to get to be part of this. Yeah, my pleasure. This was good. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to all our audience of patrons that joined us through our page on Patreon for the live recording of this episode and for joining us in the chat. It's been great. Um, so that's it for this episode. Uh, thanks for watching, and we'll see you again next time. A special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on Patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, 
and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code astropodcast15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. I also recently published a new translation of the anthology of the 2nd century astrologer Vedius Valens, which is one of the most important sources for understanding the practice of ancient astrology. You can find that by searching for Vedius Valens the Anthology on Amazon or other online book retailers. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. I also recently launched a new course there called the Birth Time Rectification Course, where I teach students how to figure out your birth time using astrology when the birth time is either unknown or uncertain. You can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Each year, the podcast releases a set of astrology calendar posters for the coming year, and we've just released our 2023 Planetary Alignments and Planetary Movements posters, which are now available on our website at theastrologypodcast.com store. There you can also pick up our 2023 Electional Astrology Report, where Lisa Scheim and I went through the next 12 months and we picked out the single most auspicious date for each month using the principles of Electional Astrology. You can get that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Finally, thanks also to the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is happening May 25th through the 29th, 2023, just outside of Seattle. This year's conference is going to be a hybrid conference where you can either attend online or in person. Find out more information at norwac.net.